My people, my people, my people, welcome to Push Black's Black History Year. I'm Jay. We appreciate y'all giving us some time today. You know, when we first developed this podcast, it was our vision to connect you to the history, thinkers, activists, and ideas that are left out of mainstream conversations. And sometimes those ideas contradict. But as our brother, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. said earlier this season, we have to heighten the contradictions and acknowledge the differences that live within our community. And today we'll do that with our guest, Dr. Clenora Hudson-Weems. Recognizing that feminism and its successors frequently didn't serve the interests of women of African descent, Dr. Hudson-Weems ideated, observed, and named a theoretical construct that she believes does, Africana womanism. An author, scholar, and professor of English at the University of Missouri, Dr. Hudson Weems first introduced her theory of Africana womanism in the 80s and has since captured a global audience with works such as her 1993 study, Africana Womanism, Reclaiming Ourselves, and her 2004 book, Africana Womanist Literary Theory. She'll expand on her theory in a moment, a theory that some scholars cite as controversial, while others praise as radical. Either way, Dr. Hudson Weems will detail how she believes Africana womanism can lead us to organize our community towards black liberation. Let's jump in. Dr. Hudson Weems, what does black liberation look like to you? As an African people, we have to deal with ourselves as a family, as a collective. It is a collective movement. It's not a a me thing. It's a us thing. If we don't work together, then we are not going to go very far. I said, when you really think about it, we're doing the mean thing. If it's all about me, 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 do you think that me would alone back during slavery could have gotten us out of slavery? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. I don't think so. It took more than me to get us out and to get us where we are today. And it's going to take more than a me. And I say me, I mean an individual to get us to continue our movement forward for a better life. That's what we're we're trying to realize. A time when we can truly say that we are equal, that we're respected, that we're allowed and, and we insist on uh, dealing with what is most important for us in order to help us to realize what we need to be truly a free people. We are in it together. We're still working towards it. All we have to do is to, to focus on our priorities and not get other people's priorities confused with our priorities. What were the conditions that forced you to put a name to this theory? I did not create Africana womanism in and of itself. We've always been that way, going back to antiquity. What I did, in fact, was to name the concept Africana womanism and define um, a, a paradigm or a concept that is relevant to who we are, what we do, and how we go about our everyday lives. We are family-centered. That's the first thing. We are family-centered. And we prioritize race, class, and gender. We're not gender-exclusive. 
and it goes on and on from there. But it's always the family. It's the men and women in it together, working together for our children and for our future generations. That's in uh, in short what Africana womanism is. And I was uh, a doctoral student at the University of Iowa. I was a national Ford fellow, the only Ford fellow in the state of Iowa, and continuing to go to conferences, uh, national black conferences, where I always heard my colleagues trying to fit into a paradigm or a concept that wasn't theirs. You know, in other words, uh, they were uh, black women trying to be feminists. You know, if you're going to name yourself after something, then that means that you have something very much in common, a characteristic of that thing that you're trying to fit into. Okay. So if you're going to be a feminist, that means that when you look at the original feminist, then you're talking about gender exclusivity and we can't afford to be focusing on gender exclusively. Then you're talking about female empowerment. And as an African people, we're talking about race empowerment. As a race, we need to have the same uh, power and privileges as any other race. So right away, I'm saying that's not who I am. The agenda is different. The priorities, ours are race, class, and gender. Theirs is gender exclusivity. It's not the same. So I, I kept saying, this is problematic for me. It doesn't work for me. I can't call myself a feminist because I'm really not. I am in concert with the male counterpart in a liberation struggle. That's what I'm doing. I'm in this struggle with male companions. It's about me. It's about men, women, and children essentially in it together. And I say children because I think about an article that I ran across uh, back in the um, early 90s uh, uh, from, uh, written by this lady in, uh, in Africa. And she was talking about these kids in South Africa, these kids, and you know, the youths are always up front taking a chance and bravely taking a chance at whatever to get what they want, true freedom. And you have these, this is this large auditorium that's full of, uh, bodies of children who become victims of, uh, of uh, apartheid. They were fighting against apartheid in South Africa. Africa. And the woman says the national liberation of the black South African is a prerequisite to our own liberation and emancipation as a woman and a worker. I want to repeat that. The national liberation, you talk about the liberation struggle, of the black South African is a prerequisite. It comes first, okay, before our liberation as a woman and as a worker. I can't afford to just talk about myself. That'd be pretty selfish. What about what about female uh, rights and all that? that? That's a part of it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a part of a of a system that has subjugated women. It's called patriarchy. That's that's understandable. But the first thing you see, and the thing that is the most salient in the black community, is that of race, of racial discrimination, racial dominance. And that's how it started. And I told my colleagues, listen, I'm done with it. I'm not going to be analyzing and I'm in literature. That's my field. I co-authored the first book on Nobel laureate, Toni Morrison. It came out in 1990. So I do a lot of literary criticism. And I said, I'm tired of trying to understand why people are interpreting or are reading uh, Black novels or novelists as feminists when they are not talking about female nests. Certainly Harriet Tubman wasn't thinking about uh, the gender and she didn't go down south 19 recorded times, many more, to uh, free black women or her, her sisters. 
from oppression. She went down south for all Blacks, men, women, and children to help rescue them out of uh, abject subjection. I mean, it's just, it's obvious that it's not about the gender only. And of course, you can go on to other people like certainly Ida B. Wells and the anti-lynching crusader herself, who started the anti-lynching crusade against what lynchings of Blacks, and particularly Black men. She's from that South area and witnessing so many Blacks being lynched. It's not about gender. It's about Blacks being oppressed by the dominant culture based on race and racism. That's what started. My sisters and brothers at the conference are saying, I knew that something was wrong with feminism for us, but you know, hey, we just make it work. I said, no, you don't make it work. You create that which does work. What was the response when you first started putting these ideas out into the world? Well, actually, uh, I put it out to my colleagues first going to conferences, you know, filling it out, you know, and they were like, I'm glad. I'm glad you did. I said, well, you should have done it while I was busy doing something else, like trying to get a dissertation on Emmett Till out, the first uh, full-length study of Till as Catalyst of the Civil Rights Movement. This is in the 80s. I said, I'm busy with that. You should have done it for me. I said, but that's okay. Since you didn't do it, I'll do it. And they were so happy. I mean, they people just said, hey, this is the theory for me. This makes sense. It's more relatable. I'm with it. Now, of course, you had some people who were a little reluctant. Uh, in the academy, you had some who had written books on being feminists and all that. And so they thought they had too much to lose, you know. But there were some of them who had written books and it didn't matter. They said, you know, I'm not webbed to a terminology. You know, I'm like you. You know, we're not that far apart. It's a matter of of the name. And I said, but that's, that's essential. Yeah, I'd like to dig into that. So we have feminism, black feminism, womanism, Africana womanism. Can you break down the importance of, one, naming, as you were mentioned, as it relates to these, but also just some, some clear differences? First of all, I'm an Africana, uh, African-American woman. So obviously, I'm not white. And feminism was a, a, a term that was uh, created and designed and uh, defined by white women on the basis of their needs. You know, it makes sense. You know, if a white woman is dealing with female subjugation first and foremost and almost exclusively, then that's what she's going to talk about. Although we all should be a little more empathetic with everybody else to be concerned about the plight of others as well. That doesn't always happen. But what does happen, in fact, is that you focus on your needs. So the feminist, the white woman, that is, is focusing on her needs. And in fact, she defines for herself what's problematic, what's prohibiting her from being able to realize those things. And for that reason, she has identified the white male as her number one enemy. I didn't say that. That's the white woman and her assumption or conclusions that the white male is her number one enemy. On the other hand, in the black community, you cannot really, really call the black man your number one enemy because he does not have the institutionalized power to oppress you, certainly to the same degree as white males have oppressed their women and people in general. So how can he be your number one enemy? He can't be. You need to understand that and accept him with open arms as your co-partner to help realize our goals and objectives, to bring to full fruition 
what we want most, and that is real freedom, real freedom as a people, okay? Black feminists, that's problematic for me too, because what they've done is pretty much piggybacked off of this feminism concept and just added to it Black to identify the participant. And I'm looking at Black women and what we've done. I'm looking at white women and they're saying, wow, you know, Black women, boy, they're very, very uh, outspoken. Huh. I want to find voice and break silence. We, we never were silent, Black women. For the most part, we're, we're open, okay? So they're looking at us and saying, I want to be like that too. Uh, or, oh, wow, she has a job. She's working, da-da-da. I want to move from the home place to the workplace too. I don't want to be restricted and told that I'm going to stay at home and do this and that. I want to be able to, you know, pursue other things too. And I'm saying, wow, what, what is actually happening is that we're serving as a blueprints for the concepts outside of our race and then shaped so that it can be refined to specifically focus on the need of the other. So I can't be a Black feminist, particularly because I'm taking that which really is us, the original in a lot of ways. And I'm applying that to who I am and I'm naming myself after that. If you're naming yourself after that, then you're duplicating a duplicate. If we're the real and original and this is what we do and they are looking at that and saying, this this is a nice model for me, then we're duplicating a duplicate. I don't think that makes very much sense. And so I'm saying uh, we have to realize that we have our own separate agenda. And so when I picked up the Essence magazine and saw the article about bell hooks called feminism. It's a black thing. And I'm saying that's not correct. Feminism is a white thing and specifically a white woman's thing. That is not my thing. The interesting thing about it is that little one pager that she has at the back of the book, the last article there, last page, everything she talked about was really in actuality, gender latent, gender focused, gender highlighted all the way through that article. She did very little about the Black part except to identify us as Black women. So I said, yeah. So that's problematic to me too. I mean, I want my agenda to reflect what I'm interested in. Also, the Black feminist talks about the simultaneity of race, class, and gender. And you know, we don't do anything simultaneously that well. We're not the great jugglers. You know what I mean? (laughs) You do the first thing first. So that doesn't fit. So down the hatch goes that. The thing of womanism, Oh, obviously, womanism is not enough. African womanism, which I earlier called black womanism, okay, uh, came out uh, just a a couple of years after Walker, and I wasn't even conscious of it. Walker was talking about and defining what womanism is. And she says it, and I quoted her in the first chapter of my book. She says, a womanist is a black feminist or a feminist of color. I said, well, what's the point? She said, who loves other women sexually or non-sexually, appreciates and prefers women's culture, and who sometimes loves individual men sexually and or non-sexually. So I'm saying that doesn't sound like me. Committed to survival and wholeness of entire people, male and female, I like that. However, it culminates, it ends with this note. Womanist is to feminist as purple to lavender. I said, now you tell me the difference. Purple and lavender, same thing, just shade differentiation. African womanism is not the same thing at all, has nothing in common necessarily with uh, the concept of feminism because it does not do what the feminist uh, theory does. And that is to to deal with the struggle of the female exclusively. No, it's an entirely different 
agenda. Okay, and that is to help us to bring to full fruition our goals and our needs as a people, as a collective. So that right there, all of them just got pushed to the side or cast aside because they don't fit. And if they don't fit, we can't use it. So I had to create my own, okay? But in the book, the first book publication, 1993, you'll see the 18 characteristics. In every book I've written, I make sure I reiterate those 18 distinct characteristics of the African woman. It's beginning with self-namer and self-definer. It's very important that we name and define ourselves first. Otherwise, somebody else is going to do it, and they usually do a poor job at it. How about that? I wanted to pick up one point that you made in regards to black feminism, and I think you alluded to intersectionality, and I'm interested, where does Africana womanism stand on that and why? I want to quote this one thing, and this is set it straight. The guy who did the afterword to my book, Dr. Mark Christian, he says here, the current academic fad is intersectionality. As if those of us in Africana discourse never considered the myriad of issues encountered by our communities. Race, class, and gender, and the prioritization therein have always been key issues for comprehending Africana womanism. And this whole thing of for Africana womanism is that it interconnects. There's a difference in interconnectedness, okay, and intersectionality which means that at some point they intersect, they come together and then they, they meet and then they branch off and they focus on this and they focus on that. Okay, I'm simply saying that we interconnect like fabric, like woven fabric, interconnectedness. That's the word that I use in the 80s, in the 90s and still do. Not intersectionality because when it intersects, it comes and then at some point it branches and then it focuses here and it focuses there. African womanism has always dealt with all of it. I think African womanism seems to propose that the, the first and foremost issue is the issues that face us as black people, as a collective before everything. And that should be dealt with first. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. And, you know, like, for example, I'm a woman, but I tell you one thing, if a male friend of mine is having a problem, you think I'm going to say, well, you know, that's anything to do with me because I'm a woman. Uh, excuse me. You're my counterpart. We're in this thing together. We are a family. We are community. And it's about us always, not about me, just exclusively. Not ever about me, just exclusively. That can't help. It won't work. And so question there, folks who consider themselves Black feminists, I believe would say that Black feminism is good for the entire community. If the demands are met, if it's put into practice, then it does benefit the black community and everybody. But Africana womanism takes a stance that black feminism is more individualistic, whereas Africana womanism is truly about the community. So I'd like for you to dive into that. Yeah, we're talking about the original design and intent of Africana womanism. This is the design. This is a raison d'etre. Why it came into existence was for us as a family. Black feminism was more of an academic initial thing. It can help you get all kinds of perks in the academy. 
you know, you get grants and you get this and that and the other. You know what I mean? You get the PhD, you do all that stuff because you're fitting uh, already theoretical construct that is already legitimate and acceptable. You coming up with something that hasn't been already endorsed or had not received the stamp of approval by the dominant culture, that's a problem. Are you willing to stick with what is needed in your community and risk the possibility of not getting all the perks? I say yes. I don't need the perks. I need family. And I tell black women, you're lucky I'm not white because I let you know that this is my theory. I coined it, the term, and I defined it. And you either fit it or you don't. Okay? I'm not and don't care to be. I love exactly who I am. And if you love yourself, you're going to deal with that which is real to you, that which is urgent to you and your family, that which is necessary to be handled first and foremost. Before you have time to spend on somebody else's movement, our movement is ongoing. We don't have time for vacation away from freeing ourselves. Then some black people want to come back when they fail. Well, that didn't work. Well, let's see what else we can do. Maybe we can do this now. Maybe that mainstream thing wasn't really for us. Well, you already should have known it wasn't for you. You weren't at the table when it was designed. And why you think that you were a part of it, you obviously were not. So you need to stick to your agenda, your needs, your concern. And at some point when we reach, all of us reach that, then we can spread out and say, let's just deal with whatever, because we're all on the same page and we're all on the same level. We haven't reached that yet. As you mentioned, in practice, this isn't new. You coined the name that we're using today, but this is a practice that our people have been doing. The deep focus on the community and the family is clear there. Like it's clear that that's where it comes from. But could you speak on how this has looked for us over time? Let's just think about uh, some of the African queens, for example. And I had a chapter on that in uh, in my second book called African Woman's Literary Theory, and uh, it, it was really really interesting. Uh, I, I'm thinking about uh, Queen Nzinga, okay, mm-hmm. and, and Queen Nzinga. This is in West Africa. She was a very powerful role model as an astute military strategist. She was a military strategist and she fearlessly led her army of brave women warriors against Portuguese domination. And I'm thinking of other people like uh, Queen Yasatwa, okay? Now Yasatwa bravely led the Ashanti people against the British colonialists in the uh, Yasatwa war. And then you have women here in the U.S. like Rosa Parks and even uh, Emmett Till's mother, Mamie Till, you know, they were always thinking of the family first, you know, and so they were doing their things. I talked about people like Ada B. Wells and and, uh, and Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman. We've always done those types of things. So I'm saying that the name came later, but it was always there. We've always been that. That's why it was so easy. Uh, a lot of women would say, you know, I, I, I knew that the other wasn't fitting and this is perfect. This is perfect. Of course it is, because all I did was observe what we do. And gave it a name and then refined it, gave a definition, gave characteristics. And there you go. Wow. Voila. It's, it's there. But uh, it's always been us, you know. And uh, so that's that's uh, basically what African woman is. It's so natural and real. You don't have to convince anybody anything. All you do is say it, articulate it, enumerate uh, things to look for. And right away, they said, that's it. That's me. That's who I am. Simple as that. 
And you mentioned those those great queens, and even I like to lift up just on the societal level in um, traditional African societies, the individual wasn't the the focus, right? It was um, individual, then family, then community at the top. And I think your theory ties into that and to a great degree. Would you agree with that? Uh, definitely. And it's all for the betterment of the community. You know that. In fact, there was an article written by Angela Kauser and Sandra Barnes. They were both from South Africa. And so they have an article called uh, From Shack Dwellers to Homeowners. These were women who were in shacks and, and, and they said that they practiced the 18 characteristics of African womanism daily. You name yourself. You define yourself. And I'm just going to give you, I'm going to take that moment out to deal with those features because it's very important. Sure. Okay. That you name yourself, you define yourself, you're family centered, you're genuine in your sisterhood. It's all about us sisters working together. We, we give each other advice, that type of thing. That we are strong emotionally as well as physical, I should say. That you're in concert with the male in the liberation struggle. In concert, we're in it together. That you're whole. That means you're well-rounded. You're not static and flat and stereotypical. You're well-rounded. That you're authentic, which means there is a cultural connection there. That there's a flexible role player. You know, we appreciate traditional roles that women have played as, you know, great companions and mothers and nurturers and all that. We, we, that we like to do some domestic things that some feminists call, you know, feeble-minded chores of eight-year-olds. That's what Cecilia Ann Hewlett calls it. I'm saying, hey, nurturing and mothering is a lot more than serious than the feeble-minded chores of eight-year-olds. But I'm simply saying that we are flexible role players. We have no problems doing those things, uh, domestic things. That we're respected. We want or demand proper recognition. Okay? Those features there, respect and recognition, they're reciprocal. I respect you. You respect me. That's the way it's supposed to be. That we are spiritual. There is a divine being. We can see that. That we are male compatible, no matter what your sexual preference is. We're talking about how the human race perpetuates itself. It is male-female interaction at some point. Respectful of elders. We need to inspect our elders because too many people, you know, just toss the elders aside as if they never did anything. And all you got to do is look at some of those uh, videos and look at some of those uh, uh, documentaries and see how much we did when we were the age of the youths today. A whole lot that, that commands respect. That we're adaptable, that we're ambitious because we know it takes two to tango. It takes both our salaries to make one of white folks' salary had been, and still to some degree, and people just don't know it. You know, it's uh, covered up. And that we are finally mothering and nurturing without apology. I'm not apologizing for being a mother and doing motherly things. I don't, I don't agree with Sylvia Ann Hewlett that what I do is uh, for people-minded chores of eight-year-olds. I'm doing serious adult things like Molding character, taking care of my kids and making sure they eat properly, making sure they got the proper nourishment so they can grow up and continue this this legacy that we've uh, that we've started, you know, and hopefully at some point that we can have uh, the legacy of wealth for our kids as other people have had for theirs. We just want to be just people enjoying all the things that we're supposed to be enjoying. You understand? It's just it's just uh, we're not asking for anything that's unusual. We're asking for what is right and what is fair for us as human beings.
So I'm interested. You know, there are black women who can or don't want children, some who are gay or transgendered um, that might object to the emphasis that the theory has on family mothering or being male compatible. So is Africana womanism for these folks as well? An Africana woman is a female, but uh, there has to be some type of male-female interaction or camaraderie going on. So Africana woman is for anybody who's interested. I'm not trying to sell my stuff to anybody. You know, I have basic concepts having to do with us as a people. We're interested in race, class, and gender. We're interested in family centrality. Those are basic things. I'm interested in the business of life and living and survival for Africana people globally because it's critical. It hasn't yet to be realized. So no matter what your sexual preference is, we're human beings who have a a common goal of fighting for for true humanity of Africana people. You know, you mentioned uh, a community agenda and and how this theory helps work towards that. Can you just talk about why it is important to have an agenda for us as a people? Yeah, we have to we have to have an agenda that that, that speaks directly to our needs. That's the first thing. First and foremost, it speaks directly to our needs. We don't need someone else's agenda that has nothing to do with our experience, okay? Uh, I was talking about that in, in reference to the difference between feminism and Africana womanism. You know, uh, I can't talk about gender as some type of sacred thing I'm trying to realize. I have to deal with what the community, what the family, what the global family is calling for. It's calling for uh, a, a fair space for us where we're equally uh, respected. People are always talking about this thing of diversity, diversity, diversity. Uh, W.B. Du Bois talks about true diversity. And true diversity is not assimilation. Okay. I'm not going to try to be who you are to be accepted. I'm going to be me and you be you, as they say, uh, I do me and you do you. Okay. But at the same time, we have to be respectful of each other and each other's culture. I want to dig into another aspect of the Africana womanism theory and practice. You know, so one of the core ideas is this family centeredness rather than the individual centeredness. And I'm interested because, you know, black women, black men have been critiqued for, you know, refusing to conform or not having access to these Western ideas of family. So how is your conception of family different from the Western expectations of family? Well, I can truly speak of a black familyhood because <laughs> I, I grew up in a black family, obviously. My mother, father, six children, three boys, three girls, you know, we loved each other. We shared, you know, experiences together. We had happy holidays, lots of food, lots of fun, lots of laughter. You know, I'm from Memphis. That's the South. Mm -hmm. And I I was, uh, as a child, raised in a, uh, you know, a very segregated uh, place. I lived in an all-Black neighborhood, all-Black school, all-Black church. My mother, you know, and father protected us. We didn't understand uh, the woes of segregation. You know, it was, hey, it was what it was, and we enjoyed each other, you know. And when you look out for your family, no matter what happens, if the family needs you, you come to it. You do it. That's family to me. So what role can men play or are expected to play within this framework? 
the African male is invited to participate in this ongoing struggle as we collectively continue to also fight in that ongoing struggle for human rights. We're in it together. That's why I said, if, if they're doing something to my male figure, if you think I'm going to step back because that ain't got to do with me as a woman, yes, it does, because that's, that's, that's the male in the family. Like one lady told me, you know, Clonora, uh, we don't have a problem uh, with black women. It's those dad-burned black men that we have a problem with. That's excuse me, one of those dad-burned black men you talk about. That's my daddy, my brothers. I have three siblings, cousins, friends, colleagues, males. Just like females, don't talk about them because you're not you're dealing with the wrong person. We are all humans in it together, human beings. That makes me think of you know what's been claimed for decades now that there's a war between black men and women. Do you think that's a real thing or something that's been promoted? Black men, black women, you know, we are not, especially black women, we are not a part of this age old battle of the sexes. We were too busy fighting for civil and human rights. Too busy to be dealing with uh, the battle of the, of the sexes. But it has become, it has intruded itself into our what? Into our uh, communities, into our culture, where Black women have stood and looked at Black men as being their enemies. Let me tell you one thing. If you love and support each other, it, it, you'd be surprised of how different things would be. For sure. And, and it's unfortunate, too. Also, Plenty of men who subscribe to that on the alternative side as well. Men who definitely think black women are the enemy and men who are encouraging, you know, we just don't need to mess with black women at all and look outside our race. Yeah, I'm telling you, thanks to Moyan, the Moyan report made a, made the black woman the number one enemy to the black family and the black man. Mm. But he needs to get this straight. He needs to not be twisted in his thinking and say, excuse me, but I have I had a mama maybe siblings, but I cannot buy that fact that the woman is the, she's it. She's, she's done me in, you know, if there, there's been a breakdown there, you need to get it straight and just running from them or avoiding her, or dissing her or disrespecting her is not going to correct the problem. You look at her and you see yourself and you see your family. That's what you need to understand. Absolutely. And it seems that, um, somebody benefits from us being at odds. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, the the end result of us being at odds can end tragically if uh, we, we don't s- subscribe to a common agenda. Yeah. And like the, like the old saying goes, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. We can't make it without each other. I told you, we couldn't have gotten out of slavery without each other. Right. Regardless of race, class, gender, we have something in common. When are we going to... Uh, Take advantage of that. And that's what black men and black women are going to have to take that commonality that we have and use that to advance our our, uh, world and our families. You know, remember, we're in it together. We're here working for one thing together. And that is for a better tomorrow for ourselves and our future generations so they can do the same thing. And just like that, we're at the end of this episode of Black History Year. This podcast is produced by Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. At Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. And I'm guessing you probably feel like that's important too. I mean, 
here you are at the end of a podcast about black history. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value this work. Push Black exists because we saw we had to take matters into our own hands. You make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most folks do five or 10 bucks a month, but everything makes a difference. Thanks for supporting the work. The Black History Year production team includes Tariq Alani, Patrick Sanders, Albany Jones, William Anderson, Jerea Bradley, Brooke Brown, Shonda Buchanan, Brianna Lambach, Courtney Morgan, Aquia Tay, Tasha Taylor, Leslie Taylor Grover, and Darren Wallace. Producing and editing the podcast, we have Sydney Smith and Ivana Tucker. Julian Walker is the executive producer of the podcast. And I'm Jay from Push Black. Thanks for checking us out.